Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. So we, if you've been with us, we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew. This is the longest book um, that we as a community have gone through. Seven years. Seven years, yeah. Um, so stick with us. Seven more years, we'll probably be finished with it, and we will all be the better for it. So uh, today we are talking about what I think is one of the weirdest, craziest, um, wackiest text in the New Testament. It's just a wacky story. Um, but even in its wackiness, I think there are some things that are profound, that are important, that are actually really important for us to talk about as community. So we're going to do that. Um, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Starting at verse 1, we're going to go through uh, all the way to verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, but you want one, just raise your hand, and you can actually keep this if you want. You can just take it home with you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, let's try something different. Just go ahead and close your eyes. If You don't have to, but I would suggest. Close your eyes. I'm just going to read this. Let me lull you, uh, hopefully not to sleep, but into excitement. Here we go. <laughs> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw that no one except Jesus was there. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So, Lord... We thank you that as you are high and exalted, 
you are also low and humble. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. Would you ignite our imagination? Would you pierce our hearts? Would you engage our minds? Would your Holy Spirit connect with our spirits? And may we see who you are. Amen. Jesus walked comfortably in the tension of the glory and suffering of life. And I believe, as followers of him, he's inviting us to do the same. Let me say that one more time. Jesus walked comfortably in the tension of the glory and suffering of life. And I believe he is inviting us to do the same. I think that this text, as we'll see, amplifies this kingdom reality of glory, suffering, the now and the not yet. So let's talk about the glory that we see in this story. I'm also a poet on the side. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> all right, first of all, Jesus is transfigured. It says, you know, what does that mean? It says, his face shone like the sun. He became as white as light. This is crazy. Jesus invites his friends, Peter, James, and John, up to this high mountain. And Jesus is transfigured, is transformed before them. What do you think his disciples are thinking? <laughs> Jesus! Actually, I think, can we, can we go to the next slide? Now, that may have been the response. Scholars are still debating. Um, but, <laughs> but we're not sure. We're still, we're still, yeah, we're praying about that. We're excavating. Um, have you ever seen anything that was just dazzling? That was like mind-bending, melt your face, blowing your mind it, it, like, you're like, is this really happening? Am I actually seeing this? Is this real? I remember in high school, I saw a classic movie, The Matrix. And I remember walking out of the theater with my friends, and visually and onward, it was so... Wild. I remember walking out and us seriously discussing, are we in the matrix? <laughs> is, is this true? <laughs> Jesus is transfigured. He's hanging out with Moses and Elijah. 
Moses, representative of the law, and Elijah representing the prophets, those who speak on God's behalf. So in the midst of Jesus shining as bright as the sun, he is chatting it up with Hall of Famers from the Old Testament. All right, this is like getting seriously glorious. <laughs> now, um, I also want to say that, well, actually, we'll skip that. Um, and let's go to the third thing. Jesus is endorsed by his heavenly father. Does it get more glorious than this? Bright cloud, the voice of God Almighty, Heavenly Father, speaks again identity over Jesus. What does he say? This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Same thing that happened earlier in the life of Jesus during his baptism. The Father speaks identity over Jesus. But here, same thing, except there's an addition. There's an additional, listen to him. Listen to him. And this is, uh, you know, when I use the word endorse, I mean, Jesus, we're not talking, Jesus wasn't being paid, you know, probably. Pretty obvious, but um, so Jesus has the endorsement of the Father, and he speaks his identity. So here's this this scene of just glory, glory, glory. Like what a time to celebrate with Jesus. And here's the thing: in the midst of all this glory, there's suffering. And I don't know about you, but for me, glory and suffering, celebration and pain are like two different ends of the spectrum of the experience of life. They don't go together. But Jesus, but God seems to have a different viewpoint. Uh, let's, here's what I mean. What does Jesus actually say? God the Father says, listen to Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Before we talked about, and we've seen this in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was rejected. We're talking about the Son of God, the Messiah, Rejected. Rejected by the religious leaders, the scribes, the experts in the law. Ended up plotting Jesus' murder. Jesus was rejected by his own family, his own flesh and blood. They thought he was nuts. They thought he was crazy. Jesus was even rejected by 
the place he grew up, by the people, by his neighbors, as he went back to his hometown. Jesus knows rejection, even as he is walking in God's will. What's up with that? So Jesus was rejected, and he talks about suffering. He was also beaten and murdered. He was crucified, which in his time was really the worst way you could go. This was like the Roman government making an example of you. You're up there on a cross. You're naked. Shame. Don't, don't be like this. Don't do bad stuff. Don't go against us or this is going to happen to you. Jesus says, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. He instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So, suffering, death, resurrection. This is insane. As Jesus is experiencing all this glory, transfiguration, talking with Moses and Elijah, hearing his identity spoken over him out of this thick cloud by his heavenly father, I love you. You are my son. Jesus knows in his guts that even in the midst of that, his path is going to lead to the cross. What? Why does this matter? I think this is important for us to talk about because I don't think we're very good at making room for suffering and how that fits into our faith, our relationship with God together. I know that's been my experience. I mean, I think we tend towards one end of the spectrum or the other, like glory or suffering. I think maybe more uh, in the past um, in church history, I think, you know, the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, the church, uh, maybe tended a little more towards suffering in terms of identifying with Christ and what it means to follow Jesus. And I think today in our culture, we it's easy to go for the glory, which, again, I'm not trying to, what I'm not trying to do is pit one against the other. What I'm saying is, I think it's a both hand. As we live, I mean, real life, we do experience glory and we do experience suffering. And the question is, how do, we, how do we do this together as we worship God, as we follow Jesus? How do we learn to come alongside one another? You know, Terrell, when you are on top of the mountain and uh, it's time to celebrate, you know, how do we come alongside you and celebrate? You know, um, Ray, when you're like at the worst point in your life, the lowest of the lows, like how do we come alongside you as you're suffering and in pain? And how do we learn to hold both intention 
and not pit one against the other. Well, God must be with Terrell, you know, just so much blessing. And Ray, I'm, I, I don't know, maybe God left. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe you sinned. You know, and I think sometimes uh, we can buy into this gospel that's it's only half. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but, you know, accept Jesus because he's going to fix you. You know, he's going to solve all your problems. He's going to take all your pain away. Like, Jesus is going to make your life better. You're going to have the good life with him, right? And sometimes we can tend towards this triumphalism where we don't make room for suffering to be part of the Christian experience, to be part of worship. And I think one of the big dangers of this is when we're disappointed with God, when we're suffering, when we, when we are hurting, when we don't have answers, when things are confusing, when it does feel like God has abandoned us, if we don't have this sort of frame of reference, I think it makes it, we're sort of setting ourselves up to um, to be out of hope and to sort of tread in the territory of cynicism and martyrdom and, and just confusion, like this happened, and God didn't show up, and I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I could say, you know, for myself in, um, you know, a couple things. Um, you know, number one, I would say uh, there was a time when I gave up on God's love for me. Things were not going my way. I was, uh, I was at rock bottom, and God, I, and I prayed till I was blue in the face, you know. I prayed more than I'd ever prayed before about anything, and God just didn't fix me. He didn't show up, at least in the way that I wanted him to. And because I didn't have that tension of glory and suffering, I had nowhere to go. So my hope was like, just shut, shut down. And for me, it was like, well, okay, you love me, and if you love me, you're going to help me. If you don't help me, which is what I was experiencing, then you must not love me. What, I mean, what do I do with that? I, I don't know where to go. And even more recently, I mean... We, Susan and I have talked about this. You know, we have, I mean, talk about this tension of glory and suffering. You know, we have Lucia, our beautiful daughter, two and a half years old. She's, she's my light. And then we have suffering. Our son, Alden, died before he even had a chance to live. It's like, Lord, where... Where are you in this? Where are you? So what I'm not saying is like, we want to get to a place where we have all the answers because I don't think that place exists on this side of heaven. 
That's just my, that's my opinion. <laughs> There's a, a text I'd like to read. We're, we're heading into a close, but um, in Romans chapter 8, it actually talks a little bit about this. Uh, starting at verse 14 through 18, Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. What? Is, is anybody confused by that? Am I the only one? Two? Okay. <laughs> Even here, we see what's reflected in this story of the transfiguration. You are my son. You are my daughter. That doesn't change. God's love for us, our identity in him, is not, it doesn't move. It doesn't change based on our circumstance, a celebration of pain or anything in between. That's just, it's like a rock. It just doesn't move. But there's this thing about being a son or daughter of God the Father, following Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we follow Jesus, the one who goes before us, the one who has experienced glory and suffering, as we share life in Christ, we too will experience glory and suffering. And Paul does say, which I'm glad for, in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth compared to the, with the glory that will be revealed. So God has an ultimate yes, which I think is in new creation, and in the resurrection, where he will wipe away every tear. There won't be any more sorrow. There will be an end to suffering. But for now, as we live in this tension, how do we come alongside each other? You know, uh, some of you might know uh, our friend Linnea. She has, she's an artist. She's a fine artist. She has been um, on this journey for a year and a half to two years of, of looking for a space for this project that she's doing. Um, I, won't, I won't get into it for sake of time, but... Um, but she's just been waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying. And like, Lord, you gave me this vision. Like, and, and where are you? And now they got two buildings and it's like, God, it's, just, it's amazing, you know? And so that's, a, that's like celebrate, like, right? A win for one is a win for us all. And in our community, I'm just speaking observationally, uh, you know, there are uh, 
baby's on the way. Um, we have some folks getting married soon. Awkward, I'm sorry. Um, uh, and some of us are single and, and eagerly desiring a partner. It's like, how do we hold these things in tension and not pit one against the other? Our friend uh, Dave Harrison last year, he lost his wife, Haiti. How do we come alongside him? I think a big part of the answer is friendship. Danae, can we do that last slide? Can we be a community that learns how to live like Jesus? Learns how to live in the tension of celebration and deep, deep pain. Let's stand. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Just wait and listen for a minute or two. Just all, just in your heart, just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? What are you doing?